welcome everyone to Lazypedia. My name is Coley Angel. Yeah, I'm, I'm Bradley. Um, I am a history graduate student at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And I know very little about history, uh, but we're going to talk about history together, uh, which is going to be a lot of good fun. And for today, we have decided to start by talking about the history of food, or more, I guess, accurately, the history of like interesting food or, or exotic foods. You think that's a like a better summary? Um, well, Roman, really. Um, uh, Roman food has always been interesting to me. Um, recently, um, I saw it reported they uncovered like a like kind of like a snack stall in Pompeii. Uh, it's not open to the public, obviously yet. Uh, they're still researching it, but I mean, this thing still has the frescoes of like different birds painted onto the side and it's colorful and i feel like a lot of time when we think about rome it's almost like stuffy it's like this we think of all this marble white and you know these big monolithic statues staring down at you just all white everything white basically but rome was very colorful the roman empire was a colorful empire there was paint on everything um and this fresco that they uncovered in pompeii still has the paint on it and i it's it's just so cool because it's just one of those aspects of history that I feel like you never really think about. It's like, oh, well, what did they eat then compared right. to now? Well, so. no, I, and I really like that because it makes me think about like pictures I've seen from the 1800s where people are smiling. And, you know, usually people think mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, pictures from the 1800s, people, nobody smiles because they, yeah. you know, just, just didn't do that or they had to sit still for a while. And, yeah, so I, I like that. It's sort of like a, a stereotype shattering at least, at least, you know, for me, who who definitely thinks Rome is is all white and you know, uh, concrete pillars and yeah, Julius yeah. Caesar and yeah, that's yeah, that's the extent well, of my knowledge. Well, it's like so so, and already I'm going to jump off topic a little bit just to prove this point. Um, so you know those giant Roman statues we think about, like the one of Constantine, and the eyes are just like huge in these statues. Uh, and um, I don't know if you want to pull one up now or later, but if you look up a picture of like a, I'll make a that our thumbnail like a statue, yeah, a picture of a statue of Constantine, the eyes are big, um, okay. and the reason why is these things were painted. The eyes were painted, and they would be the, these statues would be placed on top of buildings, and so you wanted to be able to actually see the detail. So you make the features bigger and paint them. So that's one example of how it was a colorful place. It wasn't just it wasn't just marble. You know? that, that that's really cool. I, I like that because that's like a little shortcut that some artists found where they're like, "I'm not very good at faces, so I'll just make it a bit bigger." You know, got a little bit more room to uh, Ro- show off Roman, my work. Roman artists were the uh, were the prototypes for uh, anime. Jumping right into it, um, when you when you think Roman food, I, what are some of the things you would think Romans were eating in the first century? Uh, probably those little like leaf crowns that they wore. So it was a very, very leafy diet. Uh, I have, I have no idea what sort of like animals or I guess goat maybe. Yeah. That, that, that's the extent of my, of just my the, knowledge. Just around. the crowns with the leaves. The laurel crowns, I think they're called. Well, they, I don't think they were eating the little crowns of leaves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a recipe I have found is for, uh, roasting flamingo and parrots um obviously obviously this isn't really something that can be uh tried today this particular recipe but um it comes from a uh a work that was translated from uh vandal i believe actually um so it didn't come directly from latin the vandal i think was a translation from latin too so it's kind of a it's kind of two steps translated which can always get a little bit um a little bit wonky um but i think a latin version has been found but it's called the um oh gosh i, I should have figured out how to pronounce this before we started the apicius i, I want to say are you i buy with latin? it yeah no. apicius um apicius but apicius i don't like the way that sounds I'm me not either do it um but so tradition states that it was written by a man named marcus uh Gabias apicius um but he most likely did not write it. It, it it we don't have any way of proving that he did or didn't and so there, there's really no way um and we'll talk a little bit more about him oh but um so it's 
basically just a giant cookbook. It's it's um, just got all these different recipes. Now, unfortunately, most of the recipes don't dictate how much of said ingredients you should be using. But using this book, you can really get an idea of what sort of uh, food what sort of foods, especially the upper class, were eating, but just what was available to them. Um, so it is divided up into various books within it. Um, I want to say it's 10 different books. Um, and each book covers a different topic. So book one is like the preservation of food. Book two is mince dishes. Three is vegetables. Four is just other stuff. Five is peas, beans, lentils, which I guess warranted its own section outside of vegetables i guess i don't know uh book six is for fowl seven is for roast meats mushrooms truffles and eggs uh book eight is venison lamb pork book nine is seafood and ten is sauces for seafood and seafood sauces were actually a a very important um part of the diet and uh, for a lot of romans especially the upper class so um so yeah we'll do the uh we'll do the fun flamingo and carrot recipe real quickly it's not too long um let me get it. there we go um so for flamingo and parrot um, you could cook both of these in the same way apparently uh you would scald the flamingo but one thing you do you don't remove the feathers huh. at the step you scald it with the feathers on Okay, uh, dumb, dumb you, question. It's it's dead at this point. Yeah, you, it's been... Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Hope. All right. It seems like it would get real messy <laughs> if it wasn't. Um, like, unlike a lobster, a flamingo would probably resist getting thrown into a pot. Um, but you would put it in a pot, add water, salt, dill, and a little bit of vinegar to be parboiled. Um, then you would finish cooking it with leeks and coriander. Um and then you would add a um, you would add some stuff to give it color, but in a mortar, so you kind of in a separate mortar, you're making the spice almost for it. Um, so you're using pepper, cumin, coriander, uh, mint, and then adding a little bit of vinegar with some dates. Um, and then you essentially that that's kind of making a sauce, so a spice sauce for you. Um, and then you pour it over the, the boiled bird and you serve it. Um, most meats were actually boiled in the Roman Empire. Huh. They didn't really have a spit. And ovens were really, really, really expensive. So you did a lot of boiling. That, that actually, like, I, I know this sounds good. That, that actually doesn't sound that bad. Like, I was expecting something that was sort of like, you know, like, downright shocking. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. The feathers on it, that would that would be, you know, uh, yeah. shocking. But it overall like a little spicy boiled meat doesn't seem that bad that said flamingos are they're, they're pretty gamey aren't they are like they're not very thick i've never had a flamingo so i mean they have the stick legs so you don't eat flamingo legs <laughs> obviously but i i mean it's been a while since i've been to the zoo but i feel <laughs> like flamingos have meat on them like uh, yeah i mean yeah they gotta have something I'm not going to go to the zoo and try out this recipe. No, um, it, it is illegal. We did look it up. We wanted to make a recipe that we could try together. Uh, but flamingo is, is actually illegal to, to eat in all 50 U.S. states. So What about parrot? Did you find that out? I did not search for that. Uh, well, parrot, yeah. you cook it in the same way. But you were just talking like, oh, it doesn't sound too bad. Well, here, so just above this recipe in the book, there is a technique that they give right before this particular um, right before this particular recipe. The treatment of strong-smelling birds of every description. <laughs> For all birds of all kinds that have a goatish smell, pepper, thyme, dry mint, sage, dates, honey, vinegar, wine, broth, oil, um, the birds will be more luscious and nutritious and the fat preserved if you envelop them in a dough of flour and oil and bake them in the oven again even for rich people um that was a ovens lot were yeah ovens were were big um but basically um you don't have refrigeration okay really. right um and so this is one reason why it's, and you see this um happen in the 1400s too when the Atlantic trade starts up and they're searching for that route to India. The Romans were getting their spices from India. Um, in fact, uh, there was trade. Um, I mean, 
the Romans were trading with China too. Like it, this, wow. we we don't think about this. And China at the time was well, I mean, I say at the time, but Rome literally was a thousand year empire essentially. Um, but China had a lot of power at the time too at, at various points. Um, but the trade with India was big because you needed these spices um, to mask the fact that your meat was going bad very quickly. You, you did not have refrigeration at all, really. So, so like, what, what's the time? Is there any indication of, like, yeah, you know, eat this within 24 hours? <laughs> or, I mean, was it longer? Was it days? Um, so I'm going to jump ahead a few hundred years here. Uh, just because my my base of knowledge is mostly actually in like the 17, 18, 1900s, a little bit of 16. Um, so dried meats were, were what you typically would go with. Uh, fresh meats, unless you would just hunted it typically, is kind of, was less common. You would dry that out usually because it's, dried meat's not really going to go bad as oh. nearly as fast. Um I mean, think about your beef jerky. Like, right, that's what I was thinking. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but these foods ha- smelled, and they tasted like, they tasted bad. They weren't good because <laughs> they were literally going bad. They were rotting. They were, bacteria was eating them. So that's actually where the spices, why the spices were really important back then, and why Europe in um, the 1400s was trying so hard to find a new way to India to bypass the Ottoman Empire that had uh, um, conquered Constantinople and renamed it Istanbul in 1453. Um, European nations, uh, these new nation states that were forming out of the uh, aftermath of the Renaissance and the fall of, well, the the, the decline of Catholic dominance, um, were looking for a way to India that didn't revolve around going all the way around Africa, like the Portuguese were doing, uh, like the Romans even to an extent were doing, though they were using overland routes because their empire stretched, I mean, down into um, down into the Arabian Peninsula. They did actually have allies in the Arabian Peninsula and on... Um, there you know, was a kingdom there named Axum, and so the Romans had trade with them. So there was various overland routes, but these were... It was stupidly expensive right you know i, I it, it kind of like for me it, it makes sense now why you know people were so motivated to go and get spices you know because like thinking about like okay i can either have like cooked meat with no spices it, it, it's different if it's if it's literally rotting you know yeah. so yeah I, I can totally understand you know people sitting around eating you know, really gross stuff, and like, come on, we, we got to get our stuff together, and we got to get over there. <laughs> you know, that, that's good motivation. But these these spices were really expensive because of just how long it took to trade it. Um, so the the um, Strabo, he was a geographer. Um, I want to, I can't remember the exact dates he was writing, but he 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 writes his comments on everything. Um, if you're a geographer, that meant you were writing about the people and the land. You weren't just going like, oh, this river is whatever. Um, but Strabo basically is commenting on the trade with India uh, around the time of Augustus Caesar, I believe. And he's almost like upset that there's so much money from Rome going to India. <laughs> like he he's upset about this. Like it's it's almost like a nationalistic thing he wants this it was a uh, black pepper was the specific trade that he was uh fussing about he he <laughs> he doesn't necessarily like this um there is another um writer the uh plenty the elder i believe also comments on these massive caravans going to india um and yeah it was it was it was a big thing like this was a huge deal to have this but it was so expensive so if you were just a regular joe in the roman empire you weren't you weren't eating these spices no okay so i guess that's sort of the 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 caveat for this this first meal is that these are wealthy people having a extravagant meal Mm -hmm. this is not um 
an average day. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah okay. So I, I guess that I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. What might be an average Roman meal? Breads. A lot of uh, breads, uh, different types of vegetables, uh, maybe some fruit here and there. Um, bread was bread was the big thing though because it was essentially state sponsored. Um, so one reason why uh, Egypt was so important to Rome and why uh, during the time of Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Mark Antony. Um, the third guy that everyone forgets about at that time. Um, <laughs> I watched the Rome miniseries and I don't even remember his name. Um, but Egypt was a source of grain um, and North Africa as well. And so when the Romans were able to defeat a lot of the Mediterranean pirates around the beginning of the CE, the Common Era or AD, um, if you want to go with the old-fashioned way of doing it, um, this was a huge deal for Rome because their ships were able were essentially freed up to import grain into the Italian peninsula and into the empire itself. Um, and so you have these massive fleets coming from like Egypt and the Levant going to Rome with these huge shipments of grain. And so what the Roman government did, they essentially subsidized this. Um, and they gave these out um originally that it was it was at a cost but it basically rome was taking uh the the treasury was taking the hit so it was a small cost um and then eventually they switched completely to if you were a roman citizen you every single year got x amount of grain how, how did that work out for him the whole like you get you get so much grain a year roman citizen worked out fine they essentially did it until the empire fell apart um it, it, it switched to cheaper materials, obviously, and in times of civil strife, it, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. And, I mean, Rome definitely had its fair share of political problems. <laughs> um, they they weren't necessarily this, this bastion of, like, political stability. Uh, you have the crisis of the 3rd century, the 3rd century crisis, in which you're just, it, it's like a dartboard of emperors, where you just you just throw the dart, and you've got a new emperor. Um which actually ended up uh, resulting in price controls on food because the value of currency had dropped so much um, that when Diocletian kind of stabilized this empire, uh, Diocletian um, set up the kind of the East Rome, West Rome uh, dichotomy that we kind of think about when we think about um, the Tetrarchy, is what it was called. Um, basically, he, he instituted... Um, price controls on on different food uh but as far as i know the the importation until rome really kind of fell apart and in the west was ongoing Hmm. i I mean it's interesting you talk about like the leveling out of of the cost of food as Mm -hmm. like a you know the the government controlled food is is like a um you know it brought stability after bunch of different uprisings i guess it makes sense because you know if, if if people are hungry you know yeah they'll be they'll be angry enough to go and you know kill somebody calling themselves the emperor and get a new emperor but if everybody's fed and well it was the army that was doing the killing that that's the fun part about the third century crisis it's the army that's typically overthrowing emperors and putting up a new emperor and the emperor's usually a general of the army so the reason why the economy was just going down the gutter when this is going on is what the emperors would do they take the throne after their army, uh, the army puts them on the throne. And they usually get the army to help them by saying, I'm going to pay you a lot more. You're, getting, you're all getting a raise. They take the throne and they realize, oh crap, the treasury's empty. Okay, we got to figure this out. So they recall all the currency, they melt it all together, and they mix in a bunch of cheap metals with it. So they're debasing the value of the currency. And then they reissue it. Well, now prices go up <laughs> because... You have more currency in circulation. That's the basic rule of inflation, basically. Right, right. Um, and, and the so, cycle continues. The The army gets mad. They're like, oh, our money's worthless. We need a new emperor. So they do this. So prices just keep going up, and currency just keeps getting more worthless. So the, there's some treasurer there that has seen you know, a new guy walk in the door every other week mm-hmm. and says, all right, let me, let me show you what's <laughs> going on. 
Yeah, open the door to the treasury and there's just <laughs> nothing. Um, yeah. So, so what this, but what this price control actually does, it offers another, another really cool look into what sort of foods were being purchased. Uh, the pencil, the University of Pennsylvania Law Review um, uh, journal uh, compiled a lot of this together and even went through the uh, trouble of converting it into modern currency for us for some of these. Um, so I'll just I'll read off a couple of these real quick. So barley uh, sold at a per bushel would have been um, 87 cents per bushel. How much is a bushel in like a layman's term? Um, and let me pull up my inner farmer. I'm definitely go, not. Goes, goes to Facebook. Uh, yeah. Farmville. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> What's that farming dating site? I can't remember. <laughs> Farmersmeat.com or something? Is that, is that what it was called? Farmersmeat.com? Uh, or anyway. maybe Only Farmers, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds worse. Oh. <laughs> so a bushel comes out to... Um, so it depends. Uh, and this is really annoying. So imperial um, would be eight gallons, eight imperial gallons. And metric would be about 36 liters. So it's a, it's a lot. It's a decent amount. So you're getting a lot of... Um, you're getting a lot of barley for that. Um, okay. Dried dried beans sold at sold per quart would be about five six cents per quart. Um, beer um, much cheaper than it is today. Much much cheaper. Coming out to uh, not coming out to three cents a quart. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but did, again, did they have like the water issue? Like where people can't drink water because it, it you know if you let it rome it... rome had um rome had indoor plumbing to an extent and they had clean water that that wasn't really a big deal they had aqueducts moving clean water into cities and stuff um you, uh, you your cities are going to be dirty anyway um and there's actually a reason you don't eat pig because pig is just kind of running around your cities eating everything on the ground mm -hmm. um but the Romans themselves, um, the reason they were really able to have a lot of these connected cities is because for the most part they had they had water supply. That wasn't as big of a deal. Um, so salt per bushel, eighty seven cents. Um, oh so goodness. some of the more some of the more expensive things. Uh, one male pheasant would be um, one dollar eight cents. Uh, these are the prices set by Diocletian. These are the price controls. Okay. Um, let's see. Fresh onions. For 25 fresh onions, you could get that for two cents. Wow. Onions are um, so good. It's like the base of so many flavors. It is, yeah. Um, so, But this gives you an idea of what they're eating. So other thing, just other things on here. Peacock, hare, hens, um, I, ham, you pork was allowed to be eaten cheese um sheep's milk apples asparagus but cultivated asparagus artichokes oysters river fish um yeah so that that's a few examples there of a few <laughs> a few a few of the other things um and the the cool thing about these price controls too is they also included wages for huh. like barbers and that sort of thing too so which is neat interest so like would you go to like a grocery store was or was it like a market like they had markets know? yeah okay yeah they had markets um so i'm gonna kind of double back here to that cookbook um apicius or okay. the one where so they ascribe it to a man named marcus gavias apicius um and this dude loved to eat like this this was his life was eating um like yeah so the story goes that he basically spent his entire fortune um on cooking he <laughs> built ovens which again ovens were um a little a little crazy um but he was nobility he was very wealthy right um so yeah he apparently he advocated for like he 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 was a gourmet. He just loved to eat. He wanted to eat everything he could get his hands on. Um, and he would host the the best festivals. And like, yeah. 
this this dude was just insane i um, i bet but because like I, as i'm imagining this i'm thinking about like people who are just like yeah just i'll, I'll just have plain bread that's yeah. it and that, that's their life and they're just like yeah i just that's that's what i eat that's how i do it and he's like no 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 you can cook stuff and put stuff together to have flavor and, and people are just looking at him blankly well, no, this dude. This dude is out there like cooking flamingo tongue and eating it. Ugh. Yeah, he's not just like, oh no, just add a little pepper to it, you know, or trying <laughs> to do like a f- Food Network show or anything like that. No, he's out there cutting the tongues out of flamingos and frying them up. Um, Yuck! Oh my gosh! So this guy's this is a wealthy person who does not have to eat a flamingo's tongue, but decides that he should. Yeah. Yeah, he, he his his life goal was to just eat the craziest stuff. So there there's a story that he apparently heard that shrimp off the Libyan coast were the fattest, plumpest, sweetest shrimp you can ever get. Um so he got himself a boat, got himself a crew, sailed down to Libya and didn't like the shrimp. <laughs> <Dang it>. Um <laughs> I'm imagining him on the seashore with his arms crossed. You <laughs> yeah, know? just angrily staring out at the ocean. Just yeah. Shaking yeah. his head, disappointed. Um, so, but that's costing a lot of money, right? Like, that's not cheap. <laughs> right. To do that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so he's down. his downfall was in how much he ate. He did not suffer a health issue, as far as we know. Um, instead... He realized he had essentially spent all of his money on his kitchen. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, over a hundred million sesterty. What? Uh, Wait a second. A Is that yeah? What's that? What's that in dollars? So once sesterty, it, it's hard to. It's really hard. Um, um, just I, because it's such an old currency. But like, okay, so I, I just it's feel a like lot. Ballpark. It's, it's yeah, a fortune. Is it, like, is it a lot of money? Okay, yeah. It'd be it'd be like it'd be like if you went out and spent a hundred million dollars on your kitchen. Okay. Just in your in your mansion, a hundred million dollars in your kitchen. That's more than your house would cost. I would think <laughs> like, so. <laughs> like he's spending, <laughs> he's spending, is. he's spending a ton of money, um, and so he reached a point where he realized. He was running out of money, and he had more money going out than he had coming in. Uh oh! So he killed himself. Oh, oh, oh! Yeah, he poisoned himself because he did not want to go bankrupt. Goodness! So he, did he, he die in his kitchen? <laughs> who knows? Um, <laughs> but he he basically he basically is um he basically is the embodiment of the "I'm here for a good time, not a long time" mentality. Like that that this guy is i'm here for a good time not a long time he's kind of he's kind of like gatsby you know he's like the gatsby of rome except he's not into like a girl he's just really into food and then it kills him (laughs) yeah basically um later uh later writings portray him kind of more in a negative light so that that does maybe lend to some idea that maybe these are exaggerated like maybe but we have recipes for it um, but we don't have like a well-written biography. Most of his life comes from different, uh, different books. Pliny's Natural History, which also talks about that trade to India. It's spotty, but we do know, um, that he existed and that <laughs> usually, usually in history where there's smoke, there's fire when it comes to this sort of thing. So uh-huh. the, the chances of this guy just being some random nobleman that all these historians later were like, we're going to make him out to be a really fat man. (laughs) It's probably unlikely. He probably was a glutton. Um, Issue, issue with the trip to the trip to Libya. Uh, Too much anticipation. If you look forward (laughs) to a meal for however long that trip is going to be, at least in my mind, you know, many hours, it's not going to be as good as you want it to be. That's the issue. Yeah. but I think it also I think it also points to just how spoiled not spoiled but how much food we have access to in the United States today. Oh, I think about that um, all the time. You know what I think yeah. about? I think about that whenever I'm watching David Attenborough talk about this animal like struggling to survive. <laughs> yeah, you know, it has to go and fight and and 
this bird will fly, you know, 20 miles to get a fish and then it'll carry it back to its nest. And then I, you know, I just go walk to the fridge, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah these, uh, yeah, it, 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 but like you can go to the grocery store and get you some half decent shrimp, you know? Um, you do need to pay attention to where it's from. Try to get some caught off the East coast, not frozen if you can. Uh, just my, I'll do my best. Yeah. You know, if you're ever out there cooking shrimp. Um, I, I tried to, it, I'm the only person in the household that likes shrimp at this time. So it's sort oh. of like a, it's hard to justify the expense, you know, but I love it. Uh, I'm always doing like shrimp fajitas and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but you see, like, God, if we had Marcus Guy Gavias on, we'd be set today. He'd be telling <laughs> us about Libby and shrimp all day long. Um, Probably wouldn't have much nice him. to say. Yeah, and then he'd kill himself at the end of the podcast. Oh um, no, no! That's, already we have too much, too much death. Yeah, it's just one. Um, so yeah, so the Romans, uh, they ate the three meals a day, kind of like we do today: breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, so, so does does that like play do they have a similar schedule you know where they like waking up and going to work and then stopping see, for lunch and so this is one of those things i wasn't sure about um because i had always worked under the assumption that our kind of modern nine to five type day was basically an industrial revolution construct um it didn't it, with with the advent of um with the advent of gas and electrical lighting, it kind of shifted our, allowed us to work different types of shifts. Um, but the fact that the Romans were eating three meals a day has me kind of wondering, you know, how did, how, how, at what time did they do it? So you ate at daybreak okay. um, when the sun came up. And so, and, and even to an extent until the 1940s, 50s, 60s on farms, this was pretty common you woke up and you started working and then at daybreak you ate something um and then they would eat another meal at 11 and then their dinner or cena uh was later on in the day so probably six seven o'clock or so and that's kind of going to be your largest meal of the day much like it is today um your wealthier citizens had these massive ones basically and it was this huge social affair so i don't know if you've ever seen the miniseries rome but this is kind of what you think of is these just all the all the well-to-do important people are are coming over for dinner and it's basically a who's who of a thing you want to be seen at these wealthy scenes right um yeah so was that like a like like an event or okay yeah so but like was that like a daily routine of of people to go over to other people's houses and eat or was that like okay wealthy i imagine it was fairly common i don't know if it was just routine um i've not done necessarily that much research i kind of intend for this to just be more of a general overview and hey if you're really interested in something go look it up because that's that's the fun of history um but i mean it it was a big thing and you you showed off your best food at these things typically so if you're out there putting three pounds of black pepper on your pheasant well you're you've got money and you're showing off hey (laughs) hey guys Check this out, and you, you're essentially dumping your wallet onto onto this boiled bird, which today Ugh. is just like eh, I don't want a, three pounds of pepper on my boiled boiled duck. So um, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the pepper for a, a minute because it's this was a this was like the status symbol for a while, right? Like pepper was yeah, black, black pepper was a big one, yeah. Right, so people would pile it onto their food to show mm-hmm. everyone at the table just how refined and or wealthy they were yeah showing off wealth was it was always i feel like it still is a big thing when you at social events for wealthy people i'm definitely not one of them so you're lucky if i'll i'll grill make a grilled cheese for you if you visit me (laughs) um i'm not going to be dumping three pounds of pepper on it because well that pepper is mine um but yeah, so yeah, dump, you, you're dumping your spices to basically show your wealth. It's it's a status symbol to be able to do this sort of thing, right? Um, and so that's why you're going to have these crazy meals like flamingo or parrot. You're showing, hey, I have the resources to get this, uh, and it's a sign of status. It's it's showing off your place in society if you're a wealthy Roman citizen. That I I just feel. 
like I don't know, I almost feel sort of bad for like the wealthy people, and that's like not often a thing that I feel because I feel like their their way of showing off is like not not at all a good way to to like actually have a good time, you know? Because mm-hmm. if you have a bunch of pepper on a gross piece of meat, you know, you, you may like I imagine even people in the time were like, okay, I, I like this. This is good. But in their heads, they're, they're like, I, I don't like this. This is not good. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true because tastes really change over time. Um, like you, you even go back to the 18th century and look at some of these recipes and you're like, oh, it doesn't sound good, but it's, you didn't have access to sugar. You know, sugar wasn't really a sweetener. You're going to use honey for your sweetening. Um, so our, our modern tastes, especially in the United States, are so different than what you would have back then. We're addicted to sugar and caffeine in the United States, basically. We're this addicted is true, to all, yeah. uh, all these different types of fats uh, that are artificially created, essentially. Um, high fructose corn syrup, That you don't have that then. So our taste is so radically different from what they're eating back then. They're not, and notice another thing, they're not eating red meat, really. You're, you don't see a lot of red meat in these recipes. It's a lot of birds. That's good for the heart. It, it is. Um, it, it's almost like it, we were naturally evolved to not eat so much red meat, but I oh, boy. That. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a militant <laughs> vegetarian or anything like that. Um, so I, but I, the, I... the point is, basically, our, our, t- our tastes... Our tastes are kind of defined by the environment you grow up in. Right. I, I totally agree with that. I just think about how I am so fortunate to have so much good tasting food at my disposal. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I can look on my phone online or just go to the kitchen and make something that tastes really, really good or have it brought to me by someone else. And it it absolutely tastes good, uh, and I can do that like in an air conditioned space, and like so even even super wealthy people in Rome, you know, had to exert all this effort, and maybe they or liked their, it. Or their slaves, or their slaves, yeah. And I just think it was probably a, you know, not 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 very appetizing. Like like if I brought a Roman citizen here for a week and. I said, okay, Marcus Apicus, you can uh, come with me. I'm going to take you to all the fine eating establishments. We're going to go to McDonald's. We're going to go to Chick Fil A. We're going to go to we're going to go to Arby's. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to try all these wonderful things. He is going to have a good time. He's going to he's going to no, love he's going to he's going to vomit all over the place and die of smallpox. Oh well, okay, yeah, I see the point there. No, no, no. He's he's but his a... stomach. His no. The point is like his. His body's not able to, pro- probably not really able to process it. It's like when you go off of when you when you stop eating crappy food and you suddenly eat some and you just feel like absolute garbage. Like you're gonna kill this man on on McDonald's. <laughs> you really he well, already killed himself and then you're gonna feed him McDonald's. Like I okay I if he could just taste it like not. If we could avoid all the issues that the time traveling with a with a ancient person would entail, yeah. he would like the taste of the things a lot you know, because they would taste. He what would he though? Because his taste, his taste, per, like perceptions are going to be so radically different from yours. It's so you're sitting here saying like, "Well, that that sounds disgusting. I would never eat it." But you probably described to him a cheeseburger today. Like, what? <laughs> you know, you're putting. You're doing what with that burger? You're doing what with that cow? Like, it, it's it's so radically different. It's really impossible. And you, especially in history, you try to avoid. Um, and, and now, I mean, I'm diving into like almost a philosophical history thing. You try to in, avoid anachronistic uh, tendencies like that, where you're projecting something from the past into the future, or vice versa. Um, so it's it's impossible really to say anything regarding that because his his whole world is completely different. I, I know we kind of think of Rome as almost this like proto Western society, but it, it's a very different world in Rome. A, a lot of the, a lot of the things we think are like Western today and the Romans were doing, it's just, it's so different. So, 
Right. That, that's yeah, my well, feel. I, that I, said, I if you want to take on the if you want to take on the McDonald's, be my guest. <laughs> I I just feel that in history, I am very glad to be living now in history versus earlier mm-hmm. in history. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I I get that. Yes, a lot of the things I enjoy, I enjoy because I'm from this time, and I would not have known otherwise if mm-hmm. I was born in a time before this. But also, just simple things like the number of babies that make it into adulthood that's yeah. that's a lot better now and um the like just the harshness of the past i feel we, we're we living it up we're having a, a, a great time and you know maybe maybe we should do the opposite maybe we should go to rome for a week mm. and eat their food and then come back and and then we'll enjoy you know so much more all the food we have and all the taste and whatnot because it's, there's a, I mean there's a lot of taste we don't have to to work, worry about like hiring a ship to take us somewhere to go find something that tastes good you know like, that's assuming you're wealthy enough to do that anyway right but like anybody with with twenty bucks in their pocket can get a meal that tastes pretty dang good yeah. of of any type of flavor. Yeah, most pizzas top out at about $18 for the real good stuff. So, yeah, you're probably right. Right. I don't know why pizza is like the only gourmet food. It's not even a gourmet food, <laughs> yet. it's the only thing. I I, I need to eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were saying my uh, my mentioning McDonald's is not gourmet. The most gourmet food you can think of is, uh, is a pizza? It's a pizza. Well, I'm thinking of like, I'm not thinking like I'm going to Papa John's tonight. You know, I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of an actual pizza, not not whatever the hell Papa John's is doing. I'm imagining you in like a, like a tuxedo just walking into a Papa John's and then squatting in the, uh, in the Papa John's opening up your, your box and eating it in the store. Oh my gosh. I'm just, yeah, just full on squatting in there, just scarfing down. An entire <laughs> yeah, my life's been going great guys. Yeah. Poor yeah. You got a, you got a two liter beside you. No, no, I just got off of soda. Don't don't get me back on. If I'm oh, if good. I'm gonna if my life is going off the rails to where I'm squ- wearing a tuxedo and a Papa John squatting on the floor, I at least give me the dignity to not be back on soda. I I will grant you that. What <laughs> what is the most like high end food you can think of at a moment's notice? Like just if you think of like high end food, boom, what comes to mind? I don't know, caviar. That's exactly that what I was end? thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Is that high end? I, well, I th- I think it's one of those like stereotypical things where it's just like this this is what wealthy people like. Uh-huh. You know, wealthy people like wearing uh, like silk smoking jackets, and they really like classical music, and they really like caviar. That's what we, the common people, know about the wealthy people. Sounds like an asshole. Facts. I don't trust anyone who listens to classical music. While eating caviar while and listening caviar. to classical music. Yeah, they're like, oh, this Beethoven's so good. And I'm like, it's just, it's just a violin, dude. But, but did Beethoven use violin? I, I, I don't know. You're, you're kind of like a classical music person. Um, no. I, I am a level of a classical music person that I will ask Google to play classical music for me, but I do not know the name I, I know the name of one classical music song, and that is the Box Cello Suite Number One, because I had to learn it to search it on YouTube and Spotify to get it to be played. Because I couldn't just say, "Hey, play that, play that cello song," you know, because there's no words. <laughs> play the cello song. Right. Play that funky cello song, white boy. Th- um, that actually may be what plays if you say, "Play the cello song." Well. Yeah, but don't activate anyone's Google Assistant while we're doing this. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it'd be like uh, when Am- the, the newscasters bought all that Amazon stuff on accident because they were reporting on that Amazon thing. <laughs> we're way <laughs> off of Roman food now. Oh, okay. I, I, just <laughs> as a closing here, I would love to hear if any president has ever been gifted a large amount of food from anyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thomas. Tommy J. Um, Thomas Jefferson was gifted this massive, massive, massive wheel of cheese, and it, they had to build like the special wagon just to get it to Washington D.C. And it, they ate on this wheel of cheese for like two years or something ridiculous. It was nuts. Um, I can't remember the exact sizes off the top of my head, but I mean, it's 
I'll, I'll look it up. Tommy J's cheese. That, no, okay. Like <laughs> um, so yeah, we're not even talking hundreds of pounds. It's like a, at least a thousand pounds, right? Yeah. So this thing was 1,235 pounds. Oh my goodness. Uh, it was a gift from the town of Cheshire, Massachusetts to Jefferson. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's massive. I, I really just want to like how on earth in a time before refrigeration or why on earth in a time you before don't have refrigeration? To refrigerate cheese. Okay. Well, all the cheese I buy, you have to refrigerate. No, so some cheese you don't really have to. Like it can sit out. But um, how? And, how long? Oh, I don't know. I've never done it. <laughs> okay. But, but like I, 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 I feel like like the sharper the cheese, typically, it can it can sit out. Like there are certain cheeses that are fine. Um, but also. In this time period, uh, for Thomas Jefferson anyway, uh, they had spring houses. Um, oh. Yeah, so I don't know if you've ever like been inside a spring house, but they I work. Have. They're they're cool. Um, yeah, and like it's going the temperature inside a spring house is going to be whatever temperature the water the spring. So for people listening who don't know what a spring house is, basically you're uh, usually it's a wood structure built over a uh, spring where this this cold fresh water is essentially running through this house and it, it, it or this structure and it keeps it cool so you don't really have windows you don't re- you know you have a small door to go in and and you're going to put your milks and different types of cheeses uh small amounts and eggs maybe maybe eggs um but you're going to put them in like clay pots and stuff and set them in this water um and for meats if you want to try to preserve it a little bit you can hang meats up um, as well in there. But the temperature in these spring houses is typically going to stay, no matter how hot it is outside, they're, they're going to stay relatively close to the temperature of the water. So one I'm, I'm familiar with um, usually hovers about six, 58 to 60 degrees year-round, regardless if it's 30 degrees outside or 90 degrees outside. Um, so they did have spring houses in Thomas Jefferson's time. Um, I, it's, I don't know... This cheese, you probably couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't yeah, you, how would you fit it in the door? Yeah, I guess you, you cut it into pieces and, and fit it in the door. I, I, that is like severely impressive. Spring houses, like I, I have no idea who you know made the first spring house or invented it or discovered it, but that is that is really clever. Yeah, so they were around for a while. Um, and that could be a, that could be another whole episode like uh, medieval foods because it got downright depressing. Oh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. That that there's your uh, there's your Thomas Jefferson um, was a cheesy man story. Um, That's good. That that might yeah. be the title. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was a cheesy man. Um, why did they give him so much cheese? It was a gift from this town. To them, basically, they were like, "Hey, hey, man, we like you a lot." So. But I mean, I'm I'm sure people in the town suggested other ideas other than instantly going to a thousand two hundred pounds of cheese. <laughs> um, so they they basically um, believed that they were important. The Jefferson, this this town in Massachusetts, they believed they were important for putting um jefferson into the oval office or whatever office jefferson was plopped into in the early white house um and so the the big church there um in that town um the the big church in this town basically wanted to do something to thank uh thomas jefferson or slash remind them hey we kind of put you we, we helped you a lot um and so yeah they made cheese Okay, no, that tracks. I, I just imagine yeah. there was a town meeting where everybody was in a circle talking about, okay, we did it. He's in the he's in the Oval Office. He's in the White House. What do we want to get him? And then somebody said, all the cheese. And they said, what? And they said, yeah, all all of the <laughs> cheese we have. We'll put it all together and we'll give it to him. <laughs> they said that's too much. We have so much cheese. We don't have something to carry it. And they'll say. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll build something. We'll get it to him. We'll 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 roll it down the damn river if we have to. Right. Just sail it. Um. 
yeah, and this this person was somebody very important, you know, nephew, and uh, everybody just had to go with it. Yeah. Um, well, it was a church thing for the most part, um, and Jefferson did uh, he donated uh, two hundred dollars to the church in exchange for the cheese. Um, because Jefferson did not feel uh, that the president should be receiving gifts, so that's nice. Yeah, I mean, he also had slaves, so right. Oh, there, well, mm. there. I'll ruin your. Uh, I'll ruin it for you real quick. So yeah, that that does that does put a damper on it. Absolutely. Yeah, but it puts a damper on most of our early founding fathers. So yeah, that's it. We're done with you. Yeah. Um, we're done with you. We're done Thank with you. you. Are, or if you haven't turned us, if you haven't turned it off already, we're done with you. We're turning, we're turning us ourselves off now. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just like a pickets in his kitchen, we're out. And he, yeah, I'm out of money. I'm offing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I might get a Big Mac. I'm a splurge. Give me some real good food. No, no, no. I, I go with the McChickens and the McDouble. Bojangles just ruined. What's McDouble? Uh, it is just like a small burger with two little patties, but it, it tastes. Oh, a McDouble. Like it's got... A McDouble. Yeah. yeah. What did you think you said I said? A Mc... I thought you said McDevil. Oh no. Like is it? I, th- I thought McDonald's was serving deviled eggs now or something. <laughs> it makes me think of like a children's Bible, but like a McDonald McDonald's children's Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and the McDouble tempted Jesus <laughs> with frozen patties. <laughs> it's Wendy's. Wendy's oh. serving frozen patties. Yeah, yeah. McPeter yeah, at the what? McGate. <laughs> <laughs> Burger, Burger King would be King Herod. Oh Burger yeah. King hunting Jesus. <laughs> Thank you everyone for joining us for our first episode of Lazypedia. We will see you next week.